continue tonight with our brief study of the life of David. Obviously can't cover all of this, one of the most major Bible characters there is, but uh, we're going to spend about six weeks on him and see if we can learn some things about him. I feel a little bit bad about the way I've treated David. Uh, We seem to be looking at a lot of the negative things in his life. I think we can learn from those. Uh, Some of the other characters we do this year will probably stay a little more positive, but uh, everybody knows his great victories, so we're spending a little more time on some of his bad moments, and tonight is one of his worst moments. Tonight's lesson, if it was rated and had to be put on TV, it would be rated mature for mature audiences. It would be rated with brief nudity, sexual situations, and violence. Uh, This is the story of David and Bathsheba. And the Bible tells the good right along with the bad, or the bad right along with the good, as it uh, recounts its Men who walk by faith and women who walk by faith, David is a faith walker. He's a man after God's own heart. We'll spend a lot more time on that next week, but tonight is incident with Bathsheba and the ramifications of that. Uh, There's a lot of lessons in there, and I think we can learn a few. So uh, we are going to read quite a bit tonight from 2 Samuel chapter 11 and into verse 12 a little bit. Uh, I think there's a couple of reasons to read Every once in a while, number one, we're supposed to read the word publicly. Uh, Paul said that was a good idea. Uh, so I think it's good for us to read the word publicly. But second, I, I find if I tell a story over and over, uh, I get to where I'm thinking it's true. Uh, but then if I go back and read, sometimes I'll have got something a little bit wrong or I'll leave something out. Uh, Any time I sit down and read a story that I haven't read in a while... Uh, I find something that I haven't got quite right or left out. So we're going to read this one and make sure we get all the pieces in. starts in chapter 11, and I've given you a little outline on your handout so you can kind of follow the story. Uh, the first three verses I called the occasion for sin. And it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So we got trouble right there. Uh, first verse tells us part of the problem. Um, David sent Joab instead of going himself. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, so here's the story set up. David's supposed to be off at war. He stayed home. He's up in the middle of the night looking around for some reason, spots a naked woman, decides she's beautiful, and inquires about who she is. Verse 4, if the story just stopped there, Uh, We might have got out of this all right. But verse 4, he took action. More trouble. Verse 4, then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. Okay, he took action. He was the king. He could do about anything he wanted. And he availed himself of that privilege and sent for Bathsheba. 
Verse 5, the complications start to come. Verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Verse 6, David starts to cover up. Going to get out of this somehow. He's the king. He can cover it up. So verse 6, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, now go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of the master's servants and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah didn't go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my king's, my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, well, I'll stay here one more day. Uh, tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Okay, attempted to cover up. Bathsheba's pregnant. Her husband's off to war. David says, well, if I can just get her husband home, spend a night with her, then we can claim it's his. Uriah, unfortunately, had too much honor to go along with that. Uh, Everybody was at war, and for some reason, he had been summoned home and treated nicely by the king, but he wasn't going to take the advantage of relaxing, going home, uh, enjoying the things that his compatriots couldn't, so he slept out on the porch with the the master servants and didn't cooperate with David's little cover-up. Well, things got worse. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Now we've escalated to murder. Verse 16. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab... Some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. And next few verses, Joab sent a message home to David to let him know he accomplished it. Uh, The messenger says, verse 21, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. And so, uh, verse 22, no, no, he tells David that later, verse 24. So, verse 25, David told the messenger, Well, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. All right. We've escalated from uh, adultery to uh, trying to cover it up to murder. And now he's taken Bathsheba into the, the palace. 
the little passage there, or the little blank between 11 and 12, I call that in your handout, I call that the I got away with it period. I think David thought, okay, I got away with it. Some people probably suspect, but I'm the king. Who's going to say anything? Uh, Uriah's dead. I got Bathsheba. Somebody might do the math and figure out it doesn't quite add up, but that's all right. I can get away with it. And he probably thought he did. Uh, verse, end of verse, chapter 11 does say that God was displeased, but David wasn't thinking of that right then. All right, now comes the, the confrontation. Chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan, uh, one of the prophets, sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children, and it shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So David tells, or Nathan tells this little parable. Uh, knowing the story, we know what the parable meant. Uh, but David just heard it as a true story. He thought some rich guy had actually, who had plenty of anything he wanted, had taken this poor one little ewe lamb from this poor man and used it himself. Well, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. David gets hot. He says, anybody do something like that ought to die. And Nathan comes back with one of the most famous and most horrible lines in the Bible. He says, you are the man. And then it all came to David. Then he figured it all out. He understood what was going on. This, uh, Nathan went on, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David confronts him. Nathan confronts him, tells him what happened. David is distraught. He's appalled. He finally begins to think. He had been caught up in this whole seduction and uh, cover-up and murder and the whole plot. And somehow he hadn't thought He didn't realize what he was doing. People caught up in sin do that. Now, the consequences. Verse 10. Nathan went on. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. 
Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. He will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I'll do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. A lot of lessons in there. And we're not going to get them all covered tonight. We got Next week we're going to do the first half talking about uh, trouble in the family. We're going to see what the ramifications were and how this all worked out in more detail. Uh, but we're going to stop there tonight and see if we can learn just a little bit uh, from what's happened so far. A lot of lessons in this story about sin and consequences. So let's look at some of the lessons that I put down here for faith walking. And I'm sure you could think of just this many more if you worked at it. But let's try these on for size. First of all, sin. When does sin happen? Okay, well, you go back and read the first part of that story. David wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. It was the time for kings to go off to war. He was the king. He, in fact, he was a famous warrior. He was a famous leader of the, the, the troops. But for some reason, he didn't this time. He stayed home and got in trouble. Uh, if you study life very much, you'll find out that's when sin happens. When you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. A sin very rarely, if ever, happens to somebody who is positively engaged in godly activities. When you're doing what you're supposed to do, when you're where you're supposed to be, when you're with people that you're supposed to be with, it's really hard to get in trouble. You can still do it, I guess, if you work at it, but it's really, really hard. Uh, the sin usually gets us. The temptations come and we succumb to them and all that. When we're not doing what we're supposed to do. When we're in the wrong place. Where we're not with who we're supposed to be with. And not doing what we ought to be doing. So David stayed at home. He should have been at battle. Things went downhill from there. Second thing I put down is that can you spot a few places in there where David could have stopped this? Well, there are a lot of places David could have stopped this. Uh, he could have stopped it by being where he was supposed to be, by going to the battle. He could have stopped it by not the window peeking at night. Uh, he could have stopped it after the first glance. He could have said, whoa, I shouldn't look at that. He could have stopped at a lot of places. But he just kept going. And finally he took action. He sent the people after And on and on it went. If you think sometimes, sometimes people think, well, I couldn't help it, couldn't help myself. Well, yes, you could help yourself. Well, there's a verse that promises you that. And in fact, I think it's worth reading since we're talking about sin and temptation. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. One of the best promises in the Bible, if not, not the best. Uh, Whoops, get it wrong. No, there it is. Uh, yeah, verse 13. Verse 13, got the wrong thing in the handout. Change that to 13. 
no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Here comes the promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Okay, there's a guarantee, young people. There's a guarantee, old people. Any temptation that comes at you, number one, God won't let it be more than you can handle. He knows what you can handle. He knows what I can handle. And those aren't the same. We all got different problems. Uh, we all got different uh, things that appeal to us, sinful things that appeal to us. Some things that appeal to some people as, as pleasurable don't attract me at all. I don't have a problem with that. And things that bother me don't affect them. So we're all very different, and God knows every one of us. And he, he promises he knows what I can handle, and he'll never let me be tempted more than that. That's a good promise. That's a fantastic promise. Okay, So not only does he promise that, but he promises when there is a temptation, when I do get in a mess, he will specifically make a way out. There's a way I can get out of it. Okay? Now, I may not spot it if I, if I don't look, and if I don't want to. I may just tell myself, well, I can't help this. You know, I'm, I'm in it. i got to go along. You know, my, my friends, what, what are they going to say if I tell them I can't go any further? Well, there is a way out. Maybe a little embarrassing, maybe all kinds of things, but there's a way out. Guaranteed, absolutely, positively. Because God promised it to us. Okay? David had a number of those spots. Bathsheba may have been beautiful, but she wasn't too much for David to resist. He could have resisted. And he had all sorts of exit ramps to get out of this mess. Didn't take any of them. Okay? Third thing I put down is that even though there was a period of time, sometime around about nine months, that he thought he got away with it, he didn't. Sin will find you out. <laughs> we will sow what we reap. It will be brought to the light. Okay? We fool ourselves. We think, okay, I got this one covered. Nobody knows about it. It's going to be brought to light. That's the way sin works. David thought he had it handled. Came to light. Fourth one. Trying to cover it up just makes it worse. You don't have to read the Bible to figure that out. Just watch politics. Okay? How dumb are politicians, by the way? You know, they're also, they know that rule. I mean, they all say it. They say, well, the cover-up's worse than the original problem. Then they all try to cover it up. You know, they get in a mess and they try to lie and tell stories and get, get it all covered up. It always makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, Nixon probably would have still been president if he hadn't tried the cover-up. It's the cover-up that gets you. Well, David, yeah, he messed up with Bathsheba. But when he came to, if he'd have come to his senses right there and said, okay, go home, that was wrong, go home, I'm going to confess to God, I can't see you again. And, but no, yeah, we can cover this up. 
Let's get Uriah home. Well, let's get Uriah killed. Well, let's do this and that. The cover-up just made it worse. One sin led to another. Uh, At the end of verse 11, or chapter 11 there, I pointed it out. David brought brought Bathsheba home. They had a son. Everything was rolling. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. That's the next point I put down. Even if nobody else is aware, God is aware. Now, the first part, sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that. Well, nobody else knows about this. That's a very rare thing. Very, very rarely can can you have a sin problem that nobody else knows about. There are some secret ones, and people do that. But even if you've got it compartmentalized there where you're the only one that knows about it, you aren't the only one that knows about it. God's aware of it. David thought he and Bathsheba knew this one, but nobody else did. Well, Joab knew it. And, well, the messenger probably figured it out. There were probably a few others, but none of that really mattered because God knew. Okay? I think there's a real good lesson in here about his reaction to Nathan's story. And the way I put it in the handout is that it is easier to be outraged at someone else's sin than my own. Okay? The story is David's story. It's told in different form. It's told in a little animal story instead of a Bathsheba form, but that's the story. David was the king. He had all the wives he wanted. Poor Uriah had one wife that he loved, and David took it, took her away from him and killed him in the process. That's the exact story, but when David heard that story, even though it's the same story. It's not near as bad as a, a real person story, is it? I mean, taking a little ewe lamb's a real tearjerker, but it's not like taking a wife and killing the husband. But when he heard that, it outraged him. Well, that's horrible. You got to kill that guy. It's easy to do that. You hear somebody else's sin. And we can get all worked up about that. How would they ever do something like that? That's horrible. We ought to take care of them. But when it's our own, we don't see it. David didn't see it yet. Exact same story, except worse. He hadn't woken up enough to see it yet. It's easy to get excited about somebody else's. Next one. Sin always has consequences. Even forgiven sin, we're going to talk about that more next week, Uh, his heart was broken. We'll talk about that when we talk about being a man after God's own heart. But once he finally figured out what Nathan was talking about, made the correlation, thought through, here's what I've done, and came to that realization, he said, I've sinned against God. And we know from his Psalms and from the rest of the story that his heart was broken. Because he finally realized what he had done. But, and look at what Nathan said to him. Uh, Nathan replied in the middle of verse 13, The Lord's taken away your sin. You know, he knows your heart's broken. He knows you're repentant. He knows that you, you 
or sorry you've done this, and it's a godly sorrow. So he's taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But, oh, boy, there's going to be some consequences. That's the way sin works. We, we get caught or we come to the realization that we've done something wrong. We can be forgiven. He's faithful and just. He will forgive us. But the consequences don't go away. Well, there's all kinds of things in life that people are suffering consequences for things that they're not guilty of in God's eyes. It's all done, forgotten, finished, over. They're still suffering the consequences because that's the way the world works. Sin always has consequences. Last thing I put down is that sin affects my life. There is going to be the consequences of whatever we've done, but it doesn't destroy it. Okay? This didn't kill David. Didn't kill him physically, didn't kill him spiritually, didn't kill him emotionally. It messed up his house, messed up his life. We'll talk about that more next week, but he still went on. To do great things. He wrote great psalms. He, he was a man after God's own heart. In fact, I put down Psalm 32. Let's look that up and finish with that. David wrote a number of psalms about this little sordid episode that we're talking about tonight. Listen to what he said in verse 32 and see if you can figure out when he wrote this. Before Nathan came or after Nathan came. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Okay. He talks about that period where I called it, he thought he got away with it. But he really knew, even then, what a mess he'd done. It's I kept silent, my bones wasted away, groaning all day long. That was all inside. I'm sure he didn't show it as the king or as the husband of Bathsheba or anything else, but he said that's the way it was. Then Nathan came, woke him up, gave him the opportunity to confess his sins, and things changed completely. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are are covered. So the, the joy of forgiveness enables us to go on, but sin does still affect our life. All right, next week uh, we're going to talk about the trouble in the house, all of the messes that came from his children and their rebellion, and it all came from this, all stemmed from the way he uh, lived his life and, and fathered and didn't father well and all that, and we'll look through all of that, and then we'll spend about half the time talking about how can a guy like this be a man after God's own heart? What's that all about? Uh, everything we've looked at, he's had some, had some problems. 
but we'll see why he was a man after God's own heart. All right, the lesson is yours. If you're here tonight and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we're going to make that easy for you. We're going to stand and sing a song, and we invite you to come.